it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam of the Great Pooch, being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every time I have the opportunity, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but other than this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall at both campuses. Uh, so just in case you lose track or forget that, we want to help you out by putting that uh, front and center uh, in uh, in our environments. Uh, and then what that means is because this is a story about Jesus and we believe the Bible is a story about Jesus, you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot a Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you at both campuses. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that Bible, read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Three of you think that? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, Lompoc Campus, we are so stoked that you're gathered uh, with us uh, today. And um, here's what I want you to do. Uh, turn to the book of Hosea. And we've been in this series entitled The Church over the past few weeks. And the book of Hosea is in the Old Testament and about two-thirds of the way through. Or you can start in the right and turn left. And you'll find the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New in Matthew. And then you can go from there. And you'll find some guys' names, Ezekiel to Daniel and then Hosea. I'm going to read from Hosea uh, chapter 2, verse 14. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we usually do uh, here at Crossroads, we go through books of the Bible. After the first of the year, we'll jump back in to the book of Genesis that we've been in for several weeks. But usually in the holidays, and it's like th three years in a row, we have paused uh, towards the Christmas season, and we've done a series entitled The Church. And one of the reasons why we do that is because we want to remind ourselves of why uh, we do what we do and using the idea of the church to kind of teach that. And, and see, the church is not a building, amen? The, the church is not a, a place. It, the church is a gathering of the people of God, the body of Christ. In the Greek, it's this word ekklesia, which implies the gathering of the people of God. So you don't go to church. You are the church when you gather. And so what we decided to do over the past few weeks is begin to talk about why we gather and, and why on this particular day. And then why do we celebrate Christmas? Like, what is this holiday really all about? And so uh, I want to read from the book of Hosea today. And so uh, say amen after you get your glasses out. And uh, you can say amen when you're there. Amen. Amen. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. This is chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of anchor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. 
as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband and no longer call me my Baal or my God. For I will remove the names of the Baals, uh, which is another translation for gods. I will remove the names of the gods from her mouth and they shall remember them by name no more. And I will make and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and every creeping thing on the ground. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Let me read verse 17 once again. For I will remove the names of the gods from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you would help us today, that you would encourage us, and, and that we would be challenged and exhorted and moved all towards your purpose, your will. And let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. We've been talking about how oftentimes in settings like this, in religious settings, and even in a traditional setting, maybe you grew up in a traditional family, sometimes we often don't know why things become tradition. We don't understand why we do often what we do we, we kind of gets lost in the shuffle? I, I usually tell this story on Christmas Eve, but I got some new stories to tell on Christmas Eve, and so I thought I'd, I'd use this story to to talk about it. How, how many of you uh, you make a ham on Christmas? A Christmas ham. Well, maybe after this story, this is going to change, all right? <laughs> right? Every, every single year, my family made a Christmas ham. My grandmother, Pearl, made the most amazing ham. And it's all because of all the things that went into making this ham that you're not supposed to have. My grandmother would smother this thing in Coca-Cola and brown sugar. Come on, don't judge me, California. Come on. It was, I mean, she would smother. It was the most amazing ham you would ever taste the forbidden ham right and and, and we love and love this ham and my my grandmother would always cut the ends off of the ham and this was puzzling to my dad's family my dad grew up as one of nine and there was four boys and five girls and all of my aunts would have conversations with my grandmother pearl about how she made this ham and it became legend my aunt kathy actually was the one uh, who could do, reproduce this the best and 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 she wouldn't give them the secrets how many of you are trying to get a recipe off your mom or your grandmother right now and she's like son someday honey I'll, I'll teach you to do this someday I'll pass this down and they couldn't figure out why she cut the ends off the ham so they continued to do it and tried to reproduce what she did and then finally somebody had the guts to ask my grandmother Pearl Pearl I, we don't understand this why, why is it that you cut the ends off of the ham is it to make sure 
sure that the Coca-Cola and brown sugar seeps into every orifice of this ham. What, what is it about? Is that the secret? Is it cutting the ends off the ham? She said, oh, honey, that was just because that was the only size pan I had to fit the hand. See, sometimes what will happen is we don't know why we do what we do. We just fall in line. We just repeat what we've seen and, and we just carry on and follow suit. And, and, and that happens in religious settings. It happens in family settings. We oftentimes don't understand why we do what we do. But we've been talking about this with this idea of the church, the gathering of the people of God. And we've been asking the question, well, why is it that we meet on the first day of the week? Why Sunday? Why, why is this the particular day that we gather together as the church? And, and when you really think about it, the fact that these first followers of Jesus begin to gather on Sunday, the first day of the week, was astonishing to people. Actually, it's a strong evidence and a strong pointer to the reality of the resurrection. See, these first followers of Jesus, they went to the tomb early that Sunday morning. They were not expecting to find an empty tomb. They were expecting to prepare a body. See, that Friday at sundown, it was confirmed that Jesus was dead. And you know that there's all these rumors and, and, and these conspiracies about Jesus' resurrection. Do you know that uh, the Muslim people believe that the crucifixion actually happened and that ultimately God made a body double and switched Jesus and he was nursed back to health because there's so much evidence surrounding the eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus after the crucifixion. And yet, this was an astonishing thing to think because it's written in these texts that, that Jesus' side was pierced. Maybe you remember this part of the story. It says that the, the, a Roman soldier took a spear and pierced the side of Jesus, and the Bible says blood and water Flow. Now, I had a believer for a science teacher in high school, and she began to tell us that post-mortem, the H2O and your blood that create the plasma in your veins, post-mortem, this will separate. And what that was, when the Bible says blood and water flowed, it was a Roman death certificate. See, every single Roman soldier would want to make sure they did a good job or they would have to answer to Caesar. They would have to answer to Pontius Pilate if they were to perform an execution and did not carry that out. See, the Romans had perfected this form of torture, this form of execution and, and yet, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said that, that the Messiah would be high and lifted up. And cursed is the man who hang on a tree. But yet it also says that not a single bone would be broken. Now, this 
prophecy is outlandish and preposterous to accomplish if the prophecy is also that he'll die on a tree because most every time someone was crucified, they would have their bones broken. Because what would happen is this process would take a long time. And usually before the sun goes down, because they have a execution date and the day ends at sun down, in order to speed this process up, they would break the legs of those on the cross and it would speed up the process of crucifixion. But when the Roman soldier goes to break the bones of Jesus, he stopped and they say, no, he's already dead. This is after Jesus says it is finished and gives his spirit spirit up and they stop him so they take a spear and they pierce his side and it says and blood and water flowed so Jesus was hung on a tree on a Roman cross and crucified yet not a single bone was broken it was confirmed that he was dead and he was buried in a tomb now because it was Friday evening and it was the start of the Sabbath. It was evening and morning the first day. This was the, the Jewish day started in the evening just as the Genesis account. And so the Sabbath started on Friday at sun down and because they were devout religious people and devout Jews they would not work on the Sabbath and so that meant because of the crucifixion they were not able to prepare the body the way they would want to and so when they showed up on Sunday morning they weren't there to see the risen Lord although he told them often that he would tear down this temple and in three days I'll build it up again. I'll go to Jerusalem and I'll suffer and die, but the Holy Spirit will raise me from the dead. Although he kept calling his shot and then pulled off Easter, no one saw it coming. And there were only a few at the crucifixion. John, the youngest disciple there with Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, possibly Mary Magdalene, all of the other disciples have fled. They are not expecting him to rise again. They've carried on with their life. They've hidden from the persecution of the Romans. No one expected this to happen but then these ladies decide on Sunday that they'll go and they'll prepare the body they'll work on that day see they believe they couldn't work and they were going to commit a sin by preparing uh, the body of Jesus observing the Sabbath so they waited until Sunday think about this fact think about how religious they are think about how devout they are that they would rearrange their life not preparing the body of a loved one in order to observe the sabbath think about mary who's just lost her son and yet she's not going to carry out a proper burial for her son see they worshiped in such a way See, when you worship something, you will revolve around it. You, you will give your attention to something. Their attention was on keeping the Sabbath, this command from God to do certain rituals and practices in order to observe the Sabbath. This was their way of worship. And their worship would cause them to 
neglect the things maybe they would want to do. See, let's just put that there for a second. See, everyone worships. The question is not whether or not you may consider yourself a religious person or, or maybe not a religious person, but the reality is whether you think you're religious or not, everyone worships. The question is what? And yet worship is giving my attention and my affection and devotion to a particular thing in such a way that I will revolve my life around that particular thing. Almost like a gyroscope, my, my, my life will revolve around whatever I'm focused on. On. Think about how so often that will happen. We'll sacrifice for it. We'll rearrange our schedules in order to do it. We won't do the thing we want. We'll do the thing that we think will bring us value. The thing that we will suffer for. The thing that we will sacrifice for. That is what we worship. Friends, is your life revolving around the person of Jesus? Is he at the center? Am I observing and worshiping and adorning him so much so that I will rearrange my schedule? I, I will rearrange and sacrifice my life because this is exactly what happens on that first Easter Sunday. When they go to the tomb, they expect to find a body and what they find is the stone has rolled away. There's an empty tomb and an angel appears before these ladies who showed up with spices to embalm his body, not expecting the risen Lord. They look for his body. They begin to weep because they believe someone's stolen his body in the night and an angel appears to them and says, why do you look for the living among the dead and yet they begin to look and some of Mary and the others run off but Mary Magdalene is left and Jesus appears to her she mistakes him for the gardener at first she's so not expecting him it's so out of context it's like seeing your teacher away from the school you're like yeah, I thought you lived at the school right it's like seeing me at the grocery store with a different hat on. You're like, who are you, right? Like out of context, they misplaced the person of Jesus. We thought you were the gardener. And then he says, no, it's, it's Mary, it's me. Go and get Peter. Go and tell the others. She runs on to tell them. And yet when they get there and she tells them what has happened. The thing that he's prophesied, the things that he foretold, he called his own shot, pulled off the first Easter, and when they get there, they do not believe them. Can I just tell you, friends, fellows, this is a lesson for us today. If the ladies in your life tell you that they saw a dead man walking, you should believe them, right? And yet, this is another evidence of the resurrection is that women were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. See, their testimonies were not credible in this culture. It, 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 it was not, they were not to be believed. And yet in God's sovereignty, he chooses to appear to women first. If you were making up a story that said once upon a time, there were ladies who saw the resurrection of Jesus, you would not make that up. You would just tell it the way it is because if someone read that, they would say there's no way that is possible unless it actually happened. 
And then Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples and then Thomas. And then 1 Corinthians will tell us that he appeared to more than 500 individuals before his ascension. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, actually many of them at the time he was writing were still alive today. He goes, you don't believe me? Go talk to them. They saw him raised from the dead. And here's what they begin to do. They begin to change this observance of the Sabbath. They begin to change from shutting everything down on Friday and and then regrouping on Saturday evening. They went from observing the Sabbath in such a religious way that they realized our, our lives should not revolve around this day, but this man. They said, we, we should shift our day because that day pointed to the man who would change everything. All of a sudden, these de- devout Jews changed their entire lives in such a way that before the resurrection of Jesus, they would not embalm their loved ones in order to observe this religious practice. They would go to extremes to observe this day but now the day changes to Sunday the first day of the week they started saying you know what we should every week gather on this particular day to celebrate and remind that Jesus changed everything on that first Sunday somebody should say amen that. So why does the church gather on Sunday and not on Saturday? Why did everything change? Because it showed us that the point of the Sabbath was this eternal rest that comes from the person of Jesus. And he has come and he is the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is what to all the festivals, all the days, all every religious ritual was always pointing to this ultimate relationship relationship that we would have with the Lord Jesus. That's why it's on Sunday. And yet sometimes we forget that. Much much like what we do with Christmas. Sometimes what happens is is the tradition is so far in the past that that we kind of forget why it is we meet on why not Thursday why not why not on Saturday why is it that from that day on Christians have been gathering together on the first day of the week the Lord's day and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ it's because they actually saw a man raised from the dead and that changed everything and yet, we have this, this pattern of meeting weekly. But then early Christians begin to add seasons that there were certain aspects of the gospel. This one story. And what they would do is there was this time of year, we begin to call it Christmas. I don't know if you notice anything in Christmas. There's a root word there. It's Oh, I got to get better at my job, right? Right? That root word is Christ, meaning that Christmas is about 
Christ. And you can't remove that out of it. See, first Christians begin to celebrate this advent, the coming of the Messiah. Christ means the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was to come and change everything. And they believe that was this Jesus. And so they would teach their children. They would celebrate this time, his birth, because ultimately you cannot separate the two. That ultimately the whole story, the whole gospel, this good news that they would carry to the disciples. That's why Isaiah says, blessed are the feet of those who carry good news. The ladies running from the tomb to tell the boys he is risen indeed. And I must tell everyone. And so they would say the whole point of him coming was to die to carry this out. He lived to die from cradle to cross. You, we tell the whole gospel every time we gather together, but we celebrate this coming king who came as a baby. They would celebrate this, this advent, the, the incarnation that God became a man. Why? So he could live as man ought to and die the, the death that man deserved in his place. Why? To give him the life that God has always longed and ordained to give human beings made in his image. The whole thing, from Christmas to Easter, the whole thing is about Christ, and yet you can't remove it. And there's some debate, right, about how we got Christmas. We've been talking about this. this. This idea, some people say that Christmas was a pagan holiday that Christians hijacked and made to Christ. And, and, and if that is true, we did a good job. <laughs> Right? We, we did a pretty good job, man. If that's true, and we hijacked a whole holiday and gave it to the glory of God and it's still going on thousands of years later, good job, right? And yet, it's expounded. The holiday has grown. And you know, the Bible says, like his kingdom will know no end. The holiday has no end, even though oftentimes... We think that culture's been able to hijack it. And you go, well, we need to remind everyone uh, for the reason for the season. And yet they cannot remove Christ from Christmas. Do you know that recently, um, my guy Tim Allen, the original and best Santa Claus, right? My man Tim Allen was criticized because of the new show on Disney Plus, the new Santa Claus series that they made. He was criticized because this show about Santa Claus was actually uh, pointing to Jesus and the Christian holiday. Think about a turn of events where in years past, the church has been in uproar of, man, we need to make sure Christ is in Christmas. And even when they try to remove, even when now the holiday has more to do at times with others, with, with, with this Christmas tradition of Santa Claus and trees and lights, and even then they can't remove Christ from it that whether you like it or not, the origins of St. Nick 
a devout follower of Jesus who would give gifts to others out of his generosity because he had been bestowed the love of Christ on him. And out of generosity, he would give gifts even in a secular pagan show. They cannot remove Christ from Christmas. It's there. Tim Allen was reported uh, saying, listen, we're, we're not belaboring the point, but this is uniquely a Christian holiday. And so we can't remove that from reality. And yet the Bible says the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Listen, friends, you will never be able to remove Christ from anything because Christ has ruled and reigned and he has a name which is above every other name. The Bible tells us in Philippians because Jesus came and lived, poured himself into a man, lived a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. God the Father has given Jesus a name which is above every other name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the praise of God the Father. The Bible predicted that Jesus would be the most famous person in human history. This little baby born in a manger in the city of David, but from Nazareth, and nothing good could ever come out of Nazareth. Born to in scandal, born to Mary, who there are rumors about Mary, and there's criticism of Joseph, and yet this baby is born and wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger, and no one expected him to do what he would do, and he would live to die. And because of his death, God would give him a name that you cannot remove from anywhere. It's true that Christmas is synonymous with Christ, no matter what you do. And yet, if I was to say happy Thursday, you don't think about Thor. Now think about this. If I, if I say happy Thursday, which was Thor's day, that is outside of your mind. Or maybe I say happy Wednesday on Odin's day. Or maybe you got a case of the Mondays, a moon day. Maybe it's the moon. Or maybe Sunday would be the day to the God of the sun. But the Bible said in Hosea, For I will remove the names of their gods from their mouth, and they will remember their names no more. Someone say amen to that. The reason why when you are on a Thursday and someone says happy Thursday, you do not think of Thor. It is because Christ has become king and removed the names of the gods. Friend, this is fascinating. In a known world where these gods ruled the world and the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was an obscure God of this small family, this small nation of slaves that were enslaved to the gods of Egypt. And yet you do not know their names. Why? Because Jesus changed everything, friends. This is, the, this is the good 
news. This is why Christ will always reign. This is why this kingdom will know no end. You will never be able to take Christ out of Christmas, that you can celebrate all of its lavishness. You can celebrate the coming of the king, and you can go above and beyond because the celebration is worthy of the king. And the question is, will I revolve around this reality? Will this be the center of this holiday? And just like no longer do we think about the God of the sun, but we think about Sunday being the Lord's day, changing the known religious world that would be on Saturday or the Greek and pagan gods, the gods of the sun. And yet Christ is in everything and you cannot remove it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the story. This is what the holiday is about, us reminding ourselves that God became a man. Even think about that reality. It's as if he took the entirety of the ocean and poured it into a single glass. That's what it means for God to limit himself and to take on the form of a man live in our place, die our death, and give us his life in exchange for ours? That's a scandal. Man, that's an unfair trade. How many of you know what these are? These are baseball cards, even though it's got a basketball player on it. It's a baseball card, right? Remember that? Someone's like trying, it's trading cards. Well, Everyone on the planet calls them baseball cards. It could be a basketball player. It could be a soccer player, but it's a baseball card. And how many of you remember the great Tom Gugliotta? I'll wait. (laughs) Man, when I was a kid, my dad had all of these trading cards, these baseball cards, and and he would collect them and give me some, and we would put them in the, gla- the, the little plastic containers, and I would, I would have the trapper keeper full of all of the trading cards. And I even had Michael Jordan baseball, I mean basketball cards, because you don't want Michael Jordan baseball cards, right? Anyways, uh, I would have Michael Jordan cards. I had Larry Bird. I had Magic Johnson. I had all of the greatest of all time. And I was about my oldest son's age. My son Judah uh, is about, he's nine years old. And I was probably about his age. And, and, and I remember I got some new baseball cards. It was either for Christmas or my birthday. And, and I remember the neighbors up the street, Jamie Pruney, he, he, he asked me to come over and, and they knew what I had in the Trapper Keeper. And, and they were older than I was, teenagers. And they began to tell me the greatness of Tom Gugliotta. And they begin to tell me how amazing he was. And, and, and as a young age, they begin to trade me Dave Fleming and Tom Gugliotta. I'll wait for the applause. Sorry, Tom and Dave. And, and they begin to make these, uh, these trades for Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. Magic Johnson, and they convinced me to trade these cards for these nobodies. And I remember my dad's reaction, his sorrow of heart when he found out what happened. 
and he wanted to go up and he couldn't convince the, the dad of the other boys that he said, well, he's, he made a trade and he's going, he's not, he's nine years old. You're, 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 you're talking 14 and 15 year olds convinced, well, he made the trade. And I, I can tell you, my dad wanted to wring some teenagers necks like I do on Thursdays at the hub. Anyways, right? Sometimes I go with true or funny, sometimes both, right? And, and, and yet, uh, I remember my dad was so furious with, with these guys, and, and, and yet they wouldn't give me the cards back. It was an unfair trade. I, I would dare I say it was a scandalous trade. Man, a scandal. See, Jesus was born in a scandal, and what he did and lived would become a scandal. His purpose is a scandal, a scandal called grace. See, this kind of scenario is exactly how Jesus came. This is exactly what he came to do. He was born in obscurity, maybe like a Tom Gugliotta or a Dave Fleming. No one knew who he was. The Bible even say there is no form or comeliness to him that would attract us to him, meaning Jesus was not a, an attractive figure. He was a plain Jane, a, a, a plain Joe, an average Joe. He wasn't somebody that people would go, I get why people are following him. People were going, what is it about this guy? And he didn't come from prestige or money. He was born in a barn in Bethlehem. He was from the nowhere and nothing town of Nazareth where nothing good would ever come out of there. And he would go on to be the greatest of all time. You go from being the last draft pick, the last you would pick. No one would point him. People were saying, there's nothing good that can come out of Nazareth. Who is this guy? A glutton and a drunkard who eats with tax collectors and sinners. Who is this guy? And yet, because of the life that Jesus lived, this perfect blameless life. He would perform miracles that would point to who he was, but the ultimate miraculous work would be putting to death death, overcoming sin, crushing the head of the serpent, and trading his life for yours. Man, that's a scandalous trade. That's a trade that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? The God of the universe will take on obscurity? He'll be born a baby? He'll live a life with one sole purpose, to be the spotless lamb of God. Where God would make him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans says it this way, it would be foolishness to the Greeks and a scandal to the Jews, but I preach Christ and him crucified. See, Christmas is the reminder of why Christ came. He came to die in your place. Man, what a reality. What a reminder. This was the purpose, the sole purpose. At the trial of Jesus, we'll see this played out. 
They'll bring Barabbas, a murderer, onto the stage. And Jesus, the greatest of all time, the spotless lamb that not even Pontius Pilate can find fault with. And they'll say, which one do you pick? The murderer? Somebody's going free. The crowd chooses Barabbas. And now for all of time, we have an actual sermon illustration of what Martin Luther would call the great exchange. He took his good and exchanged it for our bad. That's an unfair trade. He traded his life for mine. He traded his life for yours. He traded his life of perfection for your mess, for your mistake and your mess up and your shame and your guilt. And he took it on himself. He wrapped himself in sin so he could give you the gift of eternal life. That's a scandal. That doesn't make sense. That's why it's called grace, unmerited undeserved favor with God. And so now Christians every single season begin to remind ourselves that Christ came, was born a baby. You have to ask the question, when Mary held her child, did she know? Did she know this was the plan of God? When he said when the angel said to Mary, and he will save his people from their sin. She's going, wait a second, every year, the day of atonement, the only way we deal with sin is to slaughter an animal on behalf of the nation of Israel. When the shepherds were tending to their sheep, the lowliest of people in the social status, when the angels appeared and said, no, today in the city of David, a child is born, a savior who will save his people from their sin. When they came and visited, did they know? Did they know that his sole purpose was crib to cross? When the wise men came two years later, after seeing the star and journeying for a couple years and meeting the toddler with gifts, they shut down the entire city when they came with all the magi and they showed up. I know this is bursting your nativity scene, but this is just true. When they showed up and they met the young boy, did they know? I don't know if they knew. Because even when Jesus was a man... And John the Baptist pointed to his cousin and said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Did they know? He prophesied it. He told that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to defeat the works of the enemy. Did they know? I don't know if they knew. But we do. We know, we know that Jesus chose to be born a baby, to live the life that we live and died the death that we should have. We know, we know that the purpose of God being born 
and we celebrate on Christmas Day, we know that he came and lived in order to die. That's what we have to be reminded of. That's what our lives have to revolve around. That's what we have to rearrange is that he gave his life in exchange for mine. That's the good news. That's why it's a merry Christmas. Because this is about Christ, a Savior, is born. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, We celebrate, we remember that indeed you came and you lived to die, but you rose again and that changed everything. And so we remember knowing the whole story, crib to cross. We know that you set before the foundations of the world that you would send forth Jesus at the right time to be a propitiation paid for in his blood the payment for our sin. And now we know our debt has been paid in full. It is finished because you came and lived and died and you rose again and you offer us this new life to be accepted by faith We thank you for the scandal. And every Sunday until you return, we'll gather and tell the stories and the rumors of our God. Every week we'll gather together and we'll celebrate the reality and the good news of Jesus. Every year we'll celebrate, we'll remember, we'll be reminded that you came to us not that you ask us to work to you. Every day until you return, we'll carry out the great commission. We'll carry the good news, telling everyone about this Jesus so that they might be ready for when you return. Jesus, let this Christmas be a Christmas like never before. Jesus, you are the reason for the season. Christ and him crucified. We thank you. Let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. We give Jesus one more hand clap of praise.